Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame, a podcast for fans of Arkham Horror, the card game. We're sometimes fortnightly, we're sometimes monthly. I'm your host, Frank, and this is another one of my The Scarlet Keys Investigator expansion for players' first looks. This is number four. If you've not heard the other three so far, we've looked at Mystic, Seeker, Neutral, and we've got three factions left. So I'm going to dive straight in and keep us going on this magical mystery journey. Now that we've only got three factions left, I can use my six-sided randomizer in a different way. So one and two will be Jardian, three and four will be Roge, and five and six will be Surge Viver. So let's give it a go. Two, Guardian. Well, this is another one I've been excited about precisely because there's quite a few cards I don't know here. And the other thing I don't know, I'm just grabbing all of the customizable cards as well, is the deck building for Mar our investigator for Carson. I have an inkling that he's one of those choose a secondary class, 10 level zero to one events and skills from that class. That's my inkling, but I don't know. So let's dive in and take a look. So Carson Sinclair is the butler. He's twos across the board for stats and he has six six for health and sanity. So we're looking at an incredibly low stat line and health and sanity pool. He is assistant traded like Min. You may take an additional action during your turn, which can only be used on the below action ability. That below action ability is action. Choose another investigator at your location. They immediately take an action as if it were their turn. Limit once per round for each investigator. Elder sign effect, plus zero, draw one card. You may resolve this effect any time another investigator at your location resolves their elder sign effect. So his elder sign is, I draw a card for anyone doing an elder sign. I am into it, as long as I'm there. One of these investigators, I think like Diana Stanley, where they've got so much going on on the front that they don't even get flavour on the front. You just have to take it that he's an investigator who, you know, you just like, I like helping other people. Or maybe it's fitting that there's no flavour on the front because he just stays quietly in the background helping you. It's possible, I guess. Now, I've seen a little bit of rumblings online about Carson splitting opinion and people being not sure about Carson. First of all, all of his rules text is essentially blank when you play in solo. You can take an additional action, but it's to choose another investigator at your location. So it's just useless. And unlike, say, Bob, who has an action to play items that he can use on himself, Carson's action, you can spend the action every turn. It's just it has no effect. It's action, colon, choose another investigator. So yeah, it just does nothing. Also worth noting, if you play in two-player, you can give out one action to other people. But if you play in four-player, you could use three of your four actions on other people. So there's this weird thing going on straight away of how do I weigh up how effective Carson is? Am I essentially giving the other three investigators four action turns every turn and I spend a single action? Or is it more a balancing act of most of the time I spend three actions and I give someone an extra action and then on those important turns maybe I give out more? I don't know. Anyway, I forgot to say what I've been saying at the beginning of these episodes. This isn't an investigator-specific episode, so I'm not going to go too deep into it. It's also not a customizable episode, so I'm going to rush through those as well. So if you're expecting very detailed takes, I'm going to hold off on that. I 
gave an example of Carson to a friend I was playing with recently. They were struggling to wrap their head around Carson. And what I said was, if you imagine that the other investigator's actions are labelled A and Carson's actions are labelled B, what you get is, if it wasn't Carson, your action, your turn would be A-A-A-B-B-B. So three actions for investigator A, three actions for investigator B. But with Carson, you could have Carson go first and therefore the actions could be A, he gives someone else an action, B-B-B-A-A-A, or it could be B-A-B-B-A-A-A, or it could be B-B-A-B-A-A-A, or it could be B-B-B-A-A-A. So that's just if Carson goes first. As soon as you then have him going second, you have A-A-A-B, and then you can insert that final A anywhere you want. So straight away, even just doing it in simple letters like that, I start to get excited about how many different ways you can break the established flow of you take your turn, then I take mine. You just can manipulate things in so many different ways, and that's before you even factored in a third or a fourth investigator. Personally, I think that's really exciting. The other thing I wonder about is how much Carson has an impact on deck building. Because you might know that you're working with a Carson, do you make changes in terms of what you do? And I don't yet know enough about Carson and the Guardian cards in this set to know if that's the case, but I'm intrigued. And I was chatting a little bit to Brian from Right of Seeking blog. He was a guest on the show last year. And he's quite excited about Carson. He's talking about Carson as almost being the perfect accompaniment to a solo investigator, which I think is a great idea. You have one investigator who can kind of do it all, and you have Carson alongside them, supporting them and letting them do that more, rather than having the classic or the typical one's a fighter and one's a cluer, or the other classic setup of two generalists. Instead of two generalists, you have a solo investigator and their assistant. I think that's a really cool idea. I'd love to see that developed. Right, let's flip this over. Deck size of 30. Secondary class choice at deck creation. Choose Seeker, Mystic or Survivor. Okay, deck building options. Guardian, 0 to 5. Neutral, 0 to 5. Up to 10. Level, 0 to 1. Events and or skills of your chosen secondary class. Okay, I should have just actually guessed what the three factions would have been and I'd have been on it. And deck building is two copies of As You Wish, selfless to a fault, and one random basic weakness. Carson Sinclair has served three generations of the Webb family in Arkham. Always proper, Carson watched with disapproval as his most recent employer, Hercule Webb, began bringing bizarre artefacts and profane tomes into the house, aided in these endeavours by Webb's business manager, Dupuis. When Mr. Webb was swallowed by a dimensional rift, no one believed Carson's description of the harrowing event. Carson has devoted himself to proving Dupuis' guilt and to restoring the children as the rightful heirs to the web fortune. Reading that flavour because we didn't get some on the front. Also explains why he might have mystic access. So you could run Carson with his weakling stat line and his low health and sanity with a mystic splash of deny, premonition, ward, even ward of radiance. Guardian has access to bless cards. And that would be nice. You could run him with a survivor suite of lucky. Look what I found. Oops. Take heart. Rise to the occasion and boost up his stats that way. Or you could be running seeker with practice makes perfect. 
inquiring mind, working a hunch, shortcut. Okay, straight away I see options for all of them. You're probably not running the Dreamy to Spell Event Suite to add two to whatever other two. But yeah, straight away there's some interesting options there. Maybe even Promise of Power, to be honest, for just a spiker stat. It's kind of nice. And because he wants to help other people, as we'll see in his signatures, maybe you are looking at taking more skills from those selections so that you can commit to other people. So that's Carson. Cool. Wow. I like that. That that deck building, the other people who have that secondary class choice are Mandy, Tony and Gloria, three of the strongest investigators in the game. So I think it's not controversial to say that. So yeah, I'd be really interested to check out the power level of this guy. He's got two copies of As You Wish. It's a skill, three wild icons, practiced and expert treated. It's his deck only, commit only to a skill test being performed by another investigator. If this test succeeds, the performing investor draws one card. Performing investigator draws one card. If this test fails, you draw one card. Pretty nice. And I'm going to make a point about this in a moment, but I'll hold off on it. I think that's fine. It's nice plus three to someone else. If they pass, they draw. If they fail, you get a card back. It's fine. And then his weakness is selfless to a fault. Revelation puts selfless to a fault into play in your threat area, and it has a forced effect. At the end of your turn, if you did not commit at least one card to a skill test performed by another investigator this turn, take one horror and shuffle selfless to a fault into your deck. This card is what got Peter and I talking about Call of the Unknown, Ursula's Weakness, a few weeks ago. It has a similar thing to Call of Unknown, where as long as you do the thing, this doesn't do anything, and it's only when you fail to do the thing that you get punished. Taking a horror is somewhat nasty for Carson with his six sanity, and the scary thing as well is that it goes back into your deck so you're going to see it again. So there's no way of clearing this positively. There's just stem the tide and hold it off, which I think is important to note. Also specifically important, you can't hit this condition unless you give someone else an action during your turn. And that action is, they spend that action, I mean, to take a test. If you give someone else an action using Carson's ability and they's like, oh great, I'll play an asset, you can't commit cards to them playing an asset, so you won't have committed at least one card to a skill test performed by another investigator this turn, because it has to be on your turn. So that's the important thing. It's not, oh, well, I'll commit a card to someone when they take a test. It's during Carson's turn, another investigator needs to take a test. There are other ways of doing that. I think quick thinking would give you an action, but it says as if it were your turn when you use quick thinking. So even if someone committed quick thinking to a Carson test and took an action, I don't think it qualifies as this turn. I'm just thinking, of course, in the Seeker first look, the Riz, of course, yes, Guidance is level one. That's quite nice. Forfeit an action yourself to give them an extra action and plus one to all of their skills. Pretty cool. Sorry, that's just on his deck building and if he goes Seeker. So yeah, so selfless to a fault. If you're playing in solo, every time you see this, you're just taking a horror and it's going back in your deck because you can't give anyone else an action to take a test. And as you wish, can only be committed to other investigators. So you have two other cards in your deck that are blank. So what we have here unequivocally is our first multiplayer only investigator. You can play Carson solo. It doesn't say you're not allowed to, but he has no ability. 
He has two signature skills that cannot be committed. And he has a weakness that he can't fulfill. So he's always going to be punished by it. I know some people have joked that they're going to play Carson solo. I probably will be one of those people as well. Just because I want to give him a go. But I really do need to get a three or four player group, I think, to see him shine. That's Carson. Given his weird stats, given his low health and sanity, I'm very interested to see how these Guardian cards interact with that at all. Are we going to see some Tesla stuff? Are we going to see some big weapons so that he can get a big enough boost to be a useful Guardian? Or are we going to see more things about like health and sanity soak or healing or things like that? And of course, the other healing option there is him dropping clues from Seeker to play Bizarre Diagnosis. Place one of your clues on your location. In fact, while I'm at it, he could also run String of Curses to automatically evade an enemy and place a Doom on it. He could also run Explosive Ward, and that would be a a testless way of dealing damage. So he does have options just from the two off-classes we've looked at already to heal himself and so on. And in fact, Neutral, we've seen... God, it's such a weird soul sanctification. That's what it's called. We've seen soul sanctification. If he were to lean into Guardian's healing and heal people a lot, he'd be generating a way of giving himself boosts for tests. And he could get any stat up to a six just from soul sanctification if he had enough charges on. Okay, anyway. Next, we have Hunter's Armor. This was previewed by FFG. It's four cost asset, willpower icon, item and armor traded. And all it says is customizable. It's lovely that this is our first customizable, and it's the nicest introduction, I think, to customizable in that it doesn't have any other rules text on the front. Two health, two sanity takes up the body slot. Pretty nice straight away. Four for four is not a great exchange, but it's soaking everything for you all in one thing. Flavor, you cobbled this suit together yourself from the remnants of ancient armor mixed with more modern bulletproof plating used in the Great War. It's not much yet, but with some improvements, maybe it'll be enough. I really like, again, the flavor is feeding into customizable. It's saying, hey, this is a card that grows through the game, and I hope you like it. And I think it's just really nice design that they put this first. So, it's customizable boosts. You can, for 1 XP, make it enchanted. It gains the relic trait and takes up an arcane slot instead of a body slot. You might be thinking about doing that to use something else in your body slot, like a tool belt, a backpack, or a bandolier. And also giving it the relic trait means that Ursula could suddenly take this, as long as she buys it with at least one tick. For 2 XP, you can add protective runes. It may be assigned damage and or horror dealt to other investigators at your location. So for 2 XP, this is 4 cost and soaks for everyone. There's a better deal for that, which is Tetsuo Mori for 3 cost, 0 XP for the soak. But maybe you're thinking about doing that if you're also adding Durable for 2 XP, the armor gets plus 2 health, or Hallowed for 2 XP, the armor gets plus 2 sanity. So for 6 XP, this is a 4 cost, 4 health, 4 sanity card. So that's really good value, double double the cost to, to what you get for Soak, or the cost gets you 2 for 1 in terms of the positive ratio, 1 to 2, 4 to 8, and it soaks for everyone. It's really nice. I think the only other thing that could soak that much is Agency Backup, which is 7 cost and 5 XP. So this is 4 cost and 6 XP to do the same thing, although you're missing out obviously, on some of the other things Agency Backup can do. 
Also for 2 XP, you can make the Hunter's Armor lightweight. You can make it cost... It, it gets minus one cost, and playing it does not provoke attacks of opportunity. I really like that, adding a reactive element to this soak, that you, when you need it down, you can then zoom it down for three cost, rather than having to have it down to make it have any value. And then there's two 3 XP auctions. Hex Drinker, after one or more damage or horror is assigned to Hunter's Armor from a treachery effect, you may exhaust it to draw one card. And Armor of Thorns, after one or more damage or horror is assigned to Hunter's Armor from an enemy attack, you may exhaust it to deal one damage to that enemy. You could, in theory, go Hex Drinker, Armor of Thorns, Durable and Hallowed for 10 XP. This would be a 4 cost, 4 soak, 4 soak, that draws you cards if it takes damage or horror from treacheries, and deals damage back if you take damage or horror from enemies. Pretty nice. I don't know if that's necessarily the right 10 XP to do, and as I've said before, the goal is not to discuss customizables in too much detail, but it's just somewhere that my thoughts went to. The thing I think I really like about this, and where this feeds into Martyr's Vambrace, which we announced and is coming up in this selection, is the idea of the Guardian really saying, everything goes on me. And it might be that with Martyr's Vambrace and the armor, you do want Hex Drinker for this, and your goal is to take two encounter cards a turn, and not worry about passing one of them because it's going to draw you cards anyway, and it becomes a little engine in itself. If you're a skill-based investigator like Carson seems to be at least slightly, that works really well for then just keeping the fuel going. Next is the Runic Axe. It's a four-cost asset with a combat icon. It is unique, so it does affect the table. Item, weapon, and melee. It's customizable and it has four charges. Replenish one of these charges at the start of each round. Again, going back to my idea of what does replenish mean, I think that wouldn't mean that you'd go above four charges, but if you were below it, you would slowly tick back up. Someone can correct me on that if I'm wrong. Double hand slotted. Action fight. You get plus one combat for this attack. Before this attack, you may spend any number of charges to imbue the axe with that many different inscriptions. That word different, I think, is important. It's not you may spend any number of charges to imbue the axe with any number of inscriptions. They have to be different. And it has two inscriptions to start. Accuracy, you get an additional plus two combat for this attack. And power, this attack deals plus one damage. So I can swing with the axe. It's got four charges on it. I could put accuracy and power into it and I'm swinging at plus three and dealing two damage and I could potentially do that for two swings in a turn which is pretty nice but then it's run out of charges and it's going to take a while to build back up again I could also not be worrying about the combat boost with accuracy because I'm a high combat guardian and actually just be using it for power so anyone who's used machete before you're getting pretty much the same thing as machete you're not worrying about if it's the only enemy you're engaged with and you're just slowly building up to that. And then it's upgrades. It has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. It's another eighter. The first five are all one XP. Heirloom is the first. It gets minus one cost and gains the relic trait. So again, the cost reduction is nice, but also access for Ursula should she, should she want it. I talk about the Runic Axe, by the way, on our Vincent episode, because the next is the Inscription of Glory for 1 XP. It gets a new inscription, which is Glory. If this attack defeats an enemy, choose one, draw a card, heal a damage or heal a horror. Because of that healer damage ability, that would mean that Vincent could take this, even if it goes to being a Guardian level 5 card, if he puts 10 XP into it, 
because it heals damage, it fits into his heals damage 0 to 5 category, which is great. I'll add as well, just seeing this and the Hunter's Armour, I like that the idea of customization for Guardian in particular is the thing gets cheaper. It's like they've lent into it and they don't need to commit as many resources to making it happen. Anyway, on with the show. Inscription of the Elders is next. Another 1 XP. It adds the Elders inscription. If this attack succeeds by an amount equal to or greater than your location shroud, discover one clue at your location. So there is a nice thing there where if you're going for accuracy and you have Elders, potentially you swing way too high, you pull a zero and you've passed by three and you're at a shroud three location and you get a clue. I don't think Inscription of the Elders is a reliable clue thing, but it's nice to have more ways of getting clues in Guardian. Inscription of the Hunt, you get Hunt, immediately move to a connecting location or engage an enemy at your location. I like that one as well, because that is potentially an action. So you're getting the action to engage or the action to move before even swinging, which is really nice. And Fury, if this attack is successful, in addition to its standard damage, deal one damage to each other enemy engaged with you. This one feels a bit more niche, insofar as you're not always going to have multiple other enemies engaged with you. But I like the idea that potentially against swarms, you just have fury and you're just splashing damage everywhere. Or again, if you're taking that tank role and you've ended up with multiple enemies, maybe you're using fury just every so often to get one damage onto a three health enemy, and then you swing at it again with power and accuracy and kill that enemy as well. And then its final three abilities are ancient power for three XP, you may imbue the same inscription up to three times. So that is really cool because that means I could swing and spend three charges on power to deal plus three damage. So I'd get a plus one plus three attack rather than a plus one plus one attack if I do one power. Or similarly, ancient power imbue fury three times. If this attack is successful, deal three damage to each other enemy engaged with me. Saga, also 3 XP, replenish two of Runic Axe's Runic charges at the start of each round instead of only one. And then finally, Script Weaver. For every charge spent, you may imbue the axe with up to two different inscriptions. The trap here, if I can be so bold, is that you might be tempted to take the last three, Power, Saga and Script Weaver, for 10 XP. You've got this axe that you can imbue the same inscription three times. It gets two charges back instead of one. And for every charge spent you get a big boost and I think you're actually missing out on some of the other utility from adding extra inscriptions. It's tempting to do that but it's almost like Saga and Ancient Power, sorry sorry, Ancient Power and Scriptweaver are almost doing the same thing in that one is giving you, allowing you to take the same inscription multiple times and the other is giving you essentially more charges. It's kind of Saga as well. They're not Obviously, they're not the same ability three times, but the way they interact is really fascinating. And it's maybe that you want to go Saga Script Weaver and then add in a few more inscriptions to do other things. That could be really fun. So that is the Runic Axe. And next we have the first card I don't know from Guardian, which is Custom Modifications. I knew this name because I saw the customizable card, but let's take a look at the card itself. A three-cost event... The art is of a cult being properly spruced up with various pieces. It's Maro Dalpo. If you need an artist to do art with lots of different fiddly pieces, like a surgical kit, 
or something like that, dissection tools, go to Mauro. Three cost, combat and agility icons. Just looking at what says 42MA5B. I wonder what that is on the background. It's upgrade and supply traded. Supply cards can be attached to stick to the plan, can't they? It's customizable. Attached to a firearm asset you control, limit one per asset. Reaction. When you reveal a non-tentacle chaos token while attacking with attached assets, exhaust custom modifications. Cancel that chaos token, return it to the bag, and reveal a new one. Okay, so for three cost, it's not even fast, unfortunately, but I have a firearm that I can cancel a token I pull, but it can't be a tentacle, and I just redraw. But it has six upgrades on its customizable sheet. For one XP, notched sight. If you perform an attack with attached asset against an enemy engaged with another investigator and fail, you deal no damage. Okay, I like that. Particularly if I'm putting this on, say, the cult, which <laughs> is pictured. I might not be getting a combat, I'm not getting a combat boost, and I'm doing two damage per shot, so that's okay. You can add an extended stock for two XP. You get plus two combat while attacking with attached asset. It's just a nice buff, I suppose. If you're, again, running with a, a weapon which is low combat boost, that's no bad thing. And, man, rush back round two from our neutral episode, the Hyperphysical Shotcaster, which is a firearm. It would give you plus two combat if you were attacking with it, if you had given it Rail Shooter. So, yeah, that's worth bearing in mind. The next one is Counterbalance for two XP. After you attach an upgrade card other than custom modifications to attached asset, draw one card. So we're thinking here custom ammunition, we're thinking here reliable, we're thinking well-maintained. I have definitely done that thing in Becky of building the Voltron, is it called? The Mega Gun. And yeah, wow. For 2 XP on this, put this on first, off stick to the plan, if I'm getting that right. And then as I add the other upgrades, it draws me more cards. It becomes a replace-itself solution for all of those cards. That's really nice. For 3 XP Leather Grip, custom modifications gets minus one cost and gains fast play only during your turn. Love that. I pointed out it wasn't fast. And again, all three Guardian customizables have cost reduction as part of it. A 3 XP Extended Magazine. After ammo is spent from or placed on attached asset by another event, place one ammo on attached event. Wow. So warning shots could be free. If you do uh, an extra ammo on it, you'd get an extra ammo for that. What else can you spend ammo for? Eat lead, right? That's another ammo spender. I think there's another ammo spender coming up, but we'll see. Useful to know. That seems really nice just in terms of the steady value if your goal is to keep refueling a weapon. Of course, if you're using Becky, the main way you might be adding ammo is not through an event. It's other ways, but yeah, it's no bad thing. And then finally, 4 XP, Quicksilver Bullets. If you succeed by three or more while attacking with attached asset, this attack deals plus one damage. Well, that is lovely in combination with extended stock, which gives you the plus two. You could really lean in. You could just be running Quicksilver Bullets and maybe the Leather Grip or even just the Quicksilver Bullets by themselves. If you got Quicksilver Bullets, that's 4 XP. So this is a 2 XP card, a level two card. So that opens its access out to other people who might be wanting to run this. I was going to say Tony, but of course he can only go to Guardian level one. So he could only take two ticks. 
hmm, he probably doesn't like this. Maybe the notched sight, or maybe maybe extended stock, but I think paying three just for a plus two is not necessarily Tony's jam, and he can't then take the other things. But yeah, that is custom modifications. That seems really cool. This seems like a really lovely piece in that I'm going to tinker with a single weapon and make it incredible style. I think that's really nice. And now we're on to our non-customizable cards. First we have Obsidian Bracelet. It is a three-cost asset with a willpower icon. It's hanging on a shelf next to some keys. It's item and charm traded, so that means that Amina can take it. It may only be assigned damage and or horror dealt by treachery effects. It may be assigned damage and or horror dealt to other investigators at your location. It can soak three damage and three horror. You're not about to question why it works. All you know is that you're never taking it off again. Wow. So three cost three, three. That's three for six, which is pretty good value. The hand slot is the punishment here. It's pretty hefty to spend a hand slot for that. But it can soak for anyone, and it can soak for damage and horror dealt by treachery effects. Carson potentially likes it because he's soaking for the team and he might be failing treacheries. Amina potentially likes it because of her low health of five. She might also like it if she's running Onyx Pentacle Ceremonial Sickle Dousing Rod, but not the Hallowed Chalice, and instead running Astral Mirror and taking extra actions to play items into hand slots. That fits really nicely there. And yeah, of course, because it's an item, it can be found with a backpack or things like that. It's a curious one, I think. I think I like it. Again, it's the team thing. We're looking for how does Carson help the team, and this might be a way of doing it. If you were running Obsidian Bracelet and Hunter's Armor, you could just be this super soaker, <laughs> soak for everyone for days, which is pretty nice. That's part of what you want to do. And next we have Bolas. Wow, we're straight on to an event. That seemed pretty quick. No more assets in Guardian. Wow. This is a one-cost event with combat and agility icons. The art is by Rob Lasky, and it's of a man in a suit being hit by Bolas. It's a tactic. Evade. Attempt to evade using combat instead of agility. If you succeed and the enemy is non-elite, attach bolus to it. Attached enemy gets minus one evade value. Forced after attached enemy moves, exhausted. Oh, nice. I thought it was going to discard this card. So if it hunts after you, it just hunts really slowly. That's pretty nice. My thoughts are going straight to Skidzo Tool, although he doesn't like trading using his combat instead of his agility. But he probably wants to evade more, which is quite nice. And actually, Tony really likes this as well, right? Evade at a 5 instead of a 2. Most Guardians like using combat instead of agility. Most Guardians, not all Guardians. The weird bit there is the attached enemy gets minus 1 evade value. I suppose the Guardian can evade once, and then in multiplayer, that makes further evades, future evades easier for other people. And also it just really slows down the enemy if it's going to try and hunt after you, which is lovely. You get that distance if you've moved away and it readies and then a future turn you move away. It's basically not going to catch you up, which is pretty nice. So there's, there's actually two abilities. The, the second and the third ability are running counter to each other, aren't they? One is it makes it easier to evade the enemy. And then the other is that as you get away from it, it's going to make it harder for it to catch up with you. So you're probably not going to need the minus one evade value for that. Also worth noting that Kaimani is in this set and 
when they try and kill enemies using their ability, I'm just trying to get this right, essentially the what the test is is evade value plus health they want to beat with their intellect and agility. So giving an enemy lower evade could also help with that. And of course, a lower evade might lead into then Daryl making the evade zero, which would lead to passing evades as well. That's a tasty little card. It's kind of cheeky. Will it find space? I don't know. <laughs> but it's it seems pretty cool. Next is Breach the Door. This is a two-cost event. Intellect and combat icons, the same as Scene of the Crime. It's insight, tactic, and police traited. Now, that is a pretty rare trait, police. Is police badge police traited? I'm pretty sure Beat Cop isn't. Oh, Beat Cop is police traited. Police badge isn't. <laughs> Beat Cop is, Alice is, Girish is, Handcuffs is, Tetsuo, and Tommy. So yeah, kind of rare to see this on a, an event rather than a, uh, a thing, a person. Right, what does it do? Test Combat 1. If you succeed, attach Breach the Door to your location with one resource on it for each point you succeeded by as leads. Reduce attached location shroud by one for each lead on Breach the Door. Let's see those hands. Did I understand that right? I pay two and test combat one. For each point I succeed by, I lower the shroud of that location by one. Okay, yeah, pretty cool. You, this is a lovely thing to do as the fighting guardian when you don't have enemies to fight. It's like, hey, I will make investigating this location a lot easier. It's also nice in solo if you're going to struggle investigating locations. You might smash a combat test, your stronger stat, to do that. Those are the two things that immediately come to mind with it. It's insight-toted, so you could breach the door as Joe from the insight deck, the hunch deck, which is nice. He has combat of four as well, so and probably is boosting combat. That seems nice as well. And it just seems really flavorful to me. I think that's it's pretty cool. Beyond that, it seems a little bit like map the area, like it's nice, but not special. It doesn't reduce the difficulty of all tests. It just it just reduces the shroud. So anything shroud related. Yeah, seems fine. I mean, if you're dropping the shroud as well to zero, the other thing that's worth bearing in mind is that potentially that makes it really easy for other people. And it might even allow people who wouldn't normally be able to investigate a location do that. So say you can pass by three on a three shroud location, that's where it gets really good. If you're trying to use this to make even a four or five shroud location a little bit more manageable, you might be able to pass a combat one by say two, and then a shroud five becomes three or four becomes two. Yeah, I can see that. That's kind of cool. Really helpful. The person who's probably not passing that by a lot is Carson, but there we go. Next is Grievous Wound. So this was in the FFG article. A one-cost event with double combat icons. It's a tactic. Art is lovely. It's Pixeloid Studios. Fast. Play after you successfully attack a non-elite enemy using a melee asset. So you're probably not running your custom ammunition. You might be running your runic axe. You might be running your machete or your enchanted blade. Attach Grievous Wound to the attacked enemy. Forced at the end of the round. Deal one damage to attached enemy. This is going to hurt. So yeah, this is a sort of vicious blow, but it's a vicious blow that is going to keep damaging the enemy slowly. You might want to grievously wound an enemy and also evade it with bowlers, because the thing about this is it 
doesn't do the damage until the end of the round. So if you've not killed an enemy that's engaged with you, but you have grievously wounded it, you're still going to get hit in the enemy phase first, which is a bit annoying. So I see this fitting maybe in a place around a not quite dodge tank, because that's more about evasion, but an enemy management character who can both evade and fight reasonably well and is maybe using a weapon that they can do with that. So you might be tagging an enemy, potentially with a stunning blow, say. So maybe we're thinking about Yorick or Tommy here and then Grievous wounding them. And because they're then evaded with the stunning blow and Grievously wounded, on you go with your day. And once you've left, they're just on a clock, which is nice. So that's Grievous Wound. Next is Motivational Speech. This also is in the FFG article. A zero-cost event, willpower and intellect icons, spirit traded so Calvin can take it. It's a parlay, continuing our theme of parlay being a really cool thing that's getting attention. Choose an investigator at your location. That investigator may play an ally asset from their hand, reducing its cost by three. Think they bought it? They certainly do not suspect the world is ending, Mr. Kane. And so this is Uncage the Soul, but for allies instead of spells or rituals. Importantly, it's a parlay, so it doesn't trigger attacks of opportunity, unlike Uncage the Soul, and you get to pick an investigator at your location. So it's Uncage the Soul for anyone, not just for you. So again, theme of helping other people, very Guardian. Super clutch in that, again, it allows you to break the sequence. So someone might be saying, ah, if only I had got down Delilah That would help me evade this enemy on my turn. It's like, that's fine. I will play motivational speech on my turn to allow you to play Delilah now, and then I'll go about the rest of my turn. And then when your turn arrives, you have your Delilah, or whatever else it is. Maybe it's even better example be, say, Genet Beauregard. Ah, if only we were moving out of this location, I could trigger Genet and I could pull the clue, but I haven't played Genet yet. It's like, now you have with this motivational speech. Obviously, it has Charlie in the art. Charlie likes it because he wants to play loads of allies. But I also think it'd be nice in a group where Charlie's not taking Guardian, someone else taking this for Charlie. And that's how I've experienced it, where I actually played opposite a Leo as Charlie and they had motivational speech and played it on me. And I was very grateful. So that, I think, is definitely in there as well. Generally speaking, you want to get your allies into play. Generally speaking, they might be on the more expensive side, say two to four cost. So getting a three cost reduction is really nice. And that's motivational speech. Next, we have another Tengo Un Plan announced card, One in the Chamber. This is a one-cost event with combat and agility icons. It's fortune and tactic traded. Fast, play at the end of an attack or effect that spends the last ammo from a firearm asset you control. Add one ammo to that asset. You get plus three skill value for your next attack with that asset this round. Rushing back to custom modifications... After ammo is spent from or placed on attached asset by another event, place one ammo on attached asset. So with the extended magazine upgrade to custom mod, <laughs> I could spend the last ammo as I shoot with with my gun. No, I have two ammo left. I shoot and I spend the last ammo using, say, eat lead to draw two tokens instead of one. Because I've just used an event to spend ammo, I place one ammo with extended magazine, so I'm back to one. And then fast, I play at the end of the attack, or effect, sorry, I play at the end of the effect, to add another ammo from one in the chamber, I'm back to two, 
And then that means extended magazine triggers again and I'm up to three again. So I've gone from two and I've actually ended up higher than that with three. I like one in the chamber. I like seeing it announced. It, to me, is a bit of a tricky one in terms of how does it actually work in practice. Although I've actually recently seen a couple of occasions where someone has a gun with, say, two ammo on it. And what they really want to do is spend those two ammo, play another weapon and keep fighting. And that action in the middle to play a weapon is the really nuisance one because you've still got the enemy on you. So having something like this where you can just chain a little bit longer with a weapon, a a firearm in particular, I think is really nice. And the extra plus three is particularly nice if you're using something like the Mauser or the Derringer, if you're using like the Rogue score high weapons. I think that's really cool. Doesn't work with the Shotcaster, notably, because that doesn't have ammo. Next, we have Fighting Lessons. This was revealed by the Whisper in Darkness. Shout out to them. This is a skill, combat agility and wild icons. It's practiced. Commit only to a skill test during an attack or evasion attempt. You can commit this skill to an investigator's test at any location. Aim and pull the damn trigger. It ain't hard, kid. For me, the comparison here is with Daring. Daring is three wild and is also commit to attack or evade. Daring does then add alert and retaliate, but you also draw a card if it succeeds. This doesn't add alert and retaliate. It only gives you a plus two rather than a plus three, but you can commit this from anywhere. So where does that sit really in the card pool? I guess it sits in this way of if Carson is playing with a rogue that's gone off by themselves, like a Trish or a Monterey Jack character, even say Ursula by herself, you've got a way of committing to other people you might have out in play as well, selfless to a fault and need people to take tests. So maybe on my Carson turn, I'm giving an action to the rogue who's miles away to evade an enemy. I say, please evade, I'll give you plus two for your trouble and I commit this. That seems fine. I like seeing Guardian have a bit more area of influence, but it's a weird one because in a way, the Guardian should be the one doing those things. Maybe not the evasion, but certainly the combat. And... Yeah, maybe you have two Guardians and one throws this to another and they don't stick together, maybe. But yeah, I'm not sure. It's, yeah, it's tricky for me. I think there's defensive stance as well, which is a much bigger boost for combat and agility based on how good your combat and agility is that competes with this. So I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure about it. I'd love to see someone really make it sing. And next we have Helping Hand. This was in the FFG article. It's innate, so Silas can trait it. It's a skill with no icons. You may commit Helping Hand to any type of test, max one committed per test. While Helping Hand is committed to a skill test, double the skill icons of each other card committed to that test. So, someone chucks in a Helping Hand and Fighting Lessons is then a plus four. That's not bad. You're also getting, say, a plus two with your Quick Thinking or a plus two with your Watch This you're getting a plus four with a deduction or vicious blow leveled up. I can see that for sure. It's that weird thing for Helping Hand where obviously the person committing this isn't then committing anything else if it's to someone else's test. But where it could be cool is weirdly actually in the inverse in Carson where Carson commits it to their own test and then asks other people to commit. And that's a way of Carson passing tests because they put in Helping Hand and then the other things that people commit counters double. I can see that. My feeling would be 
that that's a lot of work for a card that that's all it does. But I could be wrong. I need to take a bit more of a look and a think at fighting lessons and at helping hand and see where we go with it. And I'm a little bit stunned because we don't have any level one cards here. We're going straight to level two with Bestow Resolve. This is a two cost, two XP asset with a willpower icon. The art is, oh my goodness, it's one man really clawed up and another man sort of putting an arm around his shoulder to say, you got this pal. It's a ritual, it uses four charges, takes up the arcane slot during a skill test performed by an investigator at your location or a connecting location, spend one charge, commit a non-weakness card from your hand to that skill test, treating all of its skill icons as wild. Four charges, it allows you to commit to a connecting location, which is nice. It's also a bonus commit, and the recent ruling on practice makes perfect and guided by the unseen is it wasn't guided by the unseen, it was perhaps made perfect or daredevil, is that if you have a card that lets you commit out of sequence, as in not your usual one commitment, that's not a hard limit. You get to commit extra. So this I think would behave in the same way that I could commit a card to your test and then also trigger bestow resolve. It also doesn't exhaust, so you could do this multiple times if you wanted to. And you can commit anything to that test because you treat all of the skill icons as wild. I think that's how it works. Yeah, it's a way of Carson like committing as you wish at range, if, if Carson wants to do that, or committing other things at range. You can potentially obviously throw a vicious blow over into, I don't know, an agility attack. Is that right? If you're treating all of its skill icons as wild, are you allowed to commit a card, you know, a combat card to an agility test? I think so. It's not saying once you've committed it, treat them as wild. It's saying commit a card, and for the purposes of that commitment, they're wild. I think that's okay. I think I'm just overthinking it. It's been a long day. This is whatever it is, hour number four of recording. So yeah, pretty good. Two XP is is good there. It's hard to evaluate some of these Guardian cards without being able to picture four investigators at the same time. Again, this is where I feel like Carson maybe has an impact on group deck building, where you could be thinking, aha, I'm going to run a whole suite of cards like Inquiring Mind, Inspiring Presence, maybe even a Steadfast Say, and then I can also, if you go off without me, I've got ways of committing them at distance. I can see that. That seems pretty good. I'll help you pass your tests. The thing we need is a, a reliable way of Carson drawing. He's got as you wish. He's maybe getting draw from the Hunter's Armour upgrades. Obsidian Bracelet doesn't give him draw for taking hits. Yeah, so far it's a real mishmash. Next is Field Agent. We announced this card. This was our first or second? I think it was our first card that we announced in Scarlet Keys. Four cost, two XP, intellect and agility icons, ally and agency traded. You get plus one intellect. Free trigger, exhaust field agent, and deal one horror to it. Discover one clue at your location. Day 15, the entities appear to be feeding on what I cannot imagine. I dare not approach further. Two health, two sanity, takes up the ally slot. I'm going to save my voice and say, listen to the episode. We talk about that in detail. (gasps) Next is guard dog, level two. The upgraded guard dog with the cool new art as well from revised core. 3 cost, 2 XP, willpower and combat icons, ally and creature traded. This card was designed by the Council in Exile at Arkham Knights 2020. 
free trigger, exhaust guard dog, engage an enemy at your location. That enemy attacks you. So you've got a free trigger to get engages, but you get hit. When an enemy attack deals damage and or horror to guard dog, deal one damage to the attacked enemy. Four health, two sanity takes up the ally slot. Well, the guard dog has been given a real boost here. I'm a big fan of guard dog. One of the downsides, I'd say, is that one sanity. And this is really lovely that you can potentially be getting, you'd get one, two, three, four, five damage and or horror, uh, five damage out for taking three damage and one horror and then one more of the other type damage and or horror. That seems really good. I think engagement and getting engage actions for free is really useful and gets undervalued perhaps. So I think being able to do that is really nice. And potentially if you're engaging an enemy, you're wanting them to hit you if you have the guard dog. So taking an attack to do that is no bad thing necessarily. Next we have upgraded handcuffs. One cost, I think it was two cost before, two XP, combat and agility icons. I think it was just an agility icon before. Item and police, fast. That's nice. Action, if handcuffs is not attached to an enemy, evade. Use only on a humanoid enemy. This evasion attempt uses combat instead of agility. If you succeed, remove all doom from the just evaded enemy and attach handcuffs to it. If the attached enemy is non-elite, it cannot ready and doom cannot be placed on it. Well, there are plenty of handcuff meme decks out there. Yeah, I've got that right. It's one cost cheaper. It has gained an icon. The fast is new. And then the other thing that's new is remove all doom from the just evaded enemy. So this is a nice doom solution if you don't want to kill a cultist or something like that. You've got a way of evading it after the fact rather than it just gaining doom as well. So that's pretty cool, I think. Makes sense. This is now another way of clearing doom and it's a way of controlling a nasty enemy that has maybe accumulated doom. It's an evade in a faction that's probably fighting but might like an evade. I can just see this being nice and popular. When are we going to get a card that rewards you for upgrading a lower level card to a higher level card beyond down the rabbit hole? I mean, like almost like a permanent that gives you some kind of reward for that. Because I feel like that would be a real boon to, say, you know, Blackjack 0 into Blackjack 2, Handcuff 0 into Handcuffs 2. Could be a thing. Another familiar card. It's prepared for the worst level 2. This is also new. This is zero cost rather than one cost. It's got intellect, combat and agility icons, so it's gained the agility. It's tactic traded. Choose an investigator at your location. That investigator searches the top nine cards of their deck for a weapon asset, adds it to their hand, or plays it, paying its resource cost, and shuffles their deck. So you can pick anyone now, and they can play it, rather than just having it in hand. Pretty nice. Definitely is a singleton on your stick to the plan, and the idea that if you start with the weapon you need and the other fighter in your team needs a weapon, play it on them instead is pretty good. The efficiency of being able to play this for zero first action and straight away get a weapon into hand so you're not spending two actions to find and play. Mm, nice. Really nice. If you played this with Mandy, you could pick two targets. So I think you could play two weapons with it, which is crazy and lovely. 
Next we have Martyrs Vanbrace. This was announced by us at Drawn to the Flame. This was our final announcement card. Again, go check out our... I was a stream, and then I released the audio from it. It's the Remnant of the Unknown, a 2-cost, 3xp asset with willpower and wild icons. Item Charm Armor, so Charmer. You get plus one skill value while resolving revelation abilities on encounter cards. Reaction, after another investigator at your location draws a non-peril encounter card, before resolving that card's effects, exhaust Martyr's Vambrace, you're considered to have drawn that encounter card instead. I really like that the Obsidian Bracelet and the Martyr's Vambrace can combine nicely here to give you 5-5 soak, plus one skill value while resolving revelation abilities on encounter cards, and the Obsidian Bracelet allows anyone to assign damage or horror to it from failing or taking damage and horror from treachery effects, and the Martyr's Vambrace allows you to take two cards a turn and get plus one skill while you take them. That's one way of becoming really defensive against the Mythos, really tanky. It's what, six XP and two assets for four cost, uh, five cost. That's pretty cool. I won't say any more about this. I can feel my voice going. So go check out our episode on it. Next, we have Girish Kadakia, also announced by Tengu and Plan. Girish is the ICPC Punjab detective, a 4 cost 4 XP asset with willpower and wild icons, ally and police treated. Girish may be assigned damage and or horror dealt to other investigators at your location. Free trigger, during a skill test being performed by an investigator at your location, exhaust Girish, that investigator gets plus 2 skill value for this test. If this test is successful, heal 1 damage or horror from Girish Kadakia. Or Kadakia. I think it's Kadakia. I actually talked about Giris when we announced Vincent as well. It's a really lovely Vincent card because it heals damage. It is a pretty nice Carson card as well, because you've got a plus two to give out, you've got Soak for the team, and if they're succeeding with the plus two you're giving out, you're healing damage and horror from Girish. I think that's really nice too. So straight away, two really good homes there. Potentially you like putting this in Tommy, although you might get frustrated if it keep passing tests and never dies. I think Tetsuo is the better fit. If you're playing a role where you don't really want Beat Cop or Greta Wagner and you're not sure what your ally should be in Guardian, I think this is a really nice shout. I also really like it if you're doing some kind of uh, charisma style in Leo Anderson. This could be a really nice include. Play it down for three and fast and keep boosting people. Maybe you're playing a Succeed by X style in Leo, which would be pretty nice. And then finally, Charlie can take Girish. There is that clash about do you want to exhaust Girish for the ability or do you want to exhaust it for the plus three willpower or plus two to the rest of your stats? I think you'd use the exhaust ability at that point because you also get the heal. And maybe that's not ideal that you don't get a stat boost as well. But yeah, that's that's where we're at with Girish, I guess. And the last card is also familiar. It's Ever Vigilant, level 4. What? Zero cost, 4 XP, willpower, intellect, and intellect icons. So it's gained the willpower. It's tactic traded. One at a time. Investigators at your location as a group may play up to four assets in total from their hands, reducing the resource cost of each by one. He had to give Logan credit. The man knew how to gear up for Armageddon. Wow, this is very 
Carson Guardian. I feel like a stuck record. Again, it's about helping. Is it any good helping in this way? I think so. I think it is. You like that style, I would say, in Guardian, where you ever vigilant, you get three things down, you're ready to go. Sometimes you only have two and it's still worth ever vigilanting. With this, you can do give everyone an action. You can even ever vigilant to give someone else a mega setup turn. And then for your two remaining actions, you play a couple of other things. So that's kind of cool too. It's giving out four resources and four actions for an action, which seems very generous. Unlike Stand Together Level 3, or 0, that cares about having another investigator, you can also just play this yourself. So if you're playing some kind of Guardian style that does have quite a lot of setup, potentially you run this yourself. And because it's a tactic, you put it on stick to the plan. And if you've drawn into those early assets, bloomp, everything goes down. The last time I played Ever Vigilant was actually in Diana Stanley, and I was doing Empower Self. And I ended up with, you know, lots of Empower Self and things that I wanted to play. And this would have been perfect, although she can't run it. I can see that fitting in another style. Actually, I've just played a Sister Mary deck that was pretty asset heavy, and I would have liked something like this. Resources and card draw were the things holding me back. So something like this would have been really nice. Here ends our Guardian cards for the Scarlet Keys Investigator expansion for players of Guardians. I really enjoyed this. I can definitely feel my voice is going, so sorry about that. A really fascinating mixture. The customizables in particular really feel like you want to invest lots of XP into making them real powerhouses, which fits in Guardian. And then fascinating to me, no level 1, no level 5, which is kind of weird, and... The Obsidian Bracelet asset was really exciting. And then the skills, that weirdness of two skills that are sort of okay, but not not mega. So yeah, a really fascinating mixture. Oh, and then going into a load of cards, getting upgrades, handcuffs, guard dog, prepared for the worst, ever vigilant. Fascinating. A really cool selection. I probably feel like I haven't felt like a really strong Carson deck has come together in the way that, say... I felt like there was a really clear Amina deck as I was discussing the Mystic cards. And again, I think that's because building a Carson deck in isolation is not a great idea. It's not a bad idea, it's just not great. Because really what you want to be doing with a Carson deck is building it with other people in mind. What's your deck going to be good at? Okay, I'll help you do that. What's your deck going to focus on? Yeah, I can draw you cards for that. Is your weak point resources? Okay, yeah, I can do something with that. Is, do you just need lo- loads more actions? I'll put motivational speech in. I'll, you know, I'll help with that. So there, that's where Carson shines. And that's where you really need your team to know what they're doing and know how Carson can help. And, you know, that's a style I'm looking forward to exploring. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this. You can get in touch with me. I'm drawn to the flame podcast at gmail.com. Drawn to the flame on Facebook, Twitter, designed by humans and Patreon. Thank you to all our patrons. Really appreciate it. We've only got a couple of factions left to go. Rogue and Survivor. And then that's all of the first looks done. Forever. Maybe. Okay, thanks for listening. Bye.